Readings taken from 1 Samuel chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. There was a certain man from Ramathaim, a Zophite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zoph, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Penina and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion, because he loved her, and the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Her husband Elkanah would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once, when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow, saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me, And not forget your servant, but give her a son. Then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk, and said to her, How long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning they arose and worshipped before the Lord, and then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, Because I asked the Lord for him. This reading is taken from 1 Samuel chapter 2, starting at verse 1. It can be found on page 272 of the Blue Church Bibles. Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Do not keep talking so proudly, or let your mouth speak such arrogance, for the Lord is a God who knows, and by him deeds are weighed. 
the bows of the warriors are broken, but those who stumbled are armed with strength. Those who are full hire themselves out for food, but those who are hungry are hungry no more. She who was barren has borne seven children, but she who has had many sons pines away. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and makes them inherit a throne of honour. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's. On them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful servants, but the wicked will be silenced in the place of darkness. It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be broken. The Most High will thunder from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. It's a pleasure to be with you, and it's been such a privilege to get to know you. Uh, I've only been here since September, but it does feel like, like home for me now. So I'm very grateful to you for your welcome. Um, and I'd just like to pray as we start. So would you join me in prayer? Father, we have sung songs to you which have incredible truths and power in them. And Lord, now we want to hear from your word. Lord, this is your word. It's not my word. It's not the word of anyone else in here. It's your word, and these are your people. Lord, And we ask, please speak to us. Please comfort us, Lord. I pray as we come to this new year, Lord, there's many burdens that we carry that do not go away with the new year. And I pray, Lord, that you'd speak to us about them and help us, Lord, to start this new year in a way that honors you and that will display your glory throughout this year. Lord, so we, we lift these prayers to you now. And pray that you'd be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm just going to move a chair here. There you go. Don't want to fall over there. That would be up. So uh, we're in 1 Samuel. So would you like to turn there to 1 Samuel? We've heard it read. 1 Samuel. Today I want us to think about what does it take to see a great work of God happen? In history, what would it take for us at Eden Church to just see God at work this year in 2023? That's the kind of question that 1 and 2 Samuel are looking at. They should be seen as one book, and they tell the story of Israel's rise as a kingdom that is recognized in the world. It's a story of God's great work to establish Israel, to take them out of a very bleak period in the book of Judges to a place where they are known to be a power in the world and God has done great things for them. What needs to happen to go from there to there? How does a great work of God take place? And that's important for us, I think. Uh, Alex mentioned about taking stock in a new year and we might want to take stock as a church and say, okay, our mission, our vision, uh, which is on our website, is to glorify God through the worship of our lives, which means we want to see God do great things through us. What needs to happen for that to take place? 
Um, my, the interview there has made me sound a little bit sensible with the things that I've done, but that's certainly not the case. And when I was 10 years old, I had a dream. And in the dream, I won the World Cup, the FIFA World Cup. Um, and some of you are thinking, Ben, that's so unrealistic. Wales are never going to win the World Cup. Uh, but that wasn't a problem because I won it with Brazil. <laughs> so that stands up to scrutiny so far. And in the, in the dream, we were celebrating. We were on the podium. It's not like this, but uh, there was a, the captain of uh, Brazil in 2002 was Cafu. And he had the World Cup in his hands, and I was, the, I was also the best player in the tournament. And he passed me the World Cup, and then for some reason he had a microphone as well, so he passed me the microphone. And in the dream, the stadium went silent. I had the whole world's attention. And I took the mic and I said, well, I just want to say I couldn't have done this without God. <laughs> and if you believe in Jesus, you'll be saved. And I gave the mic back to Kafu. And we carried on celebrating. And in the dream, the whole world took note. And many people turned to faith in Christ. It had a disproportionate effect in Llanelli for some reason. I don't know why. But that's how I thought a great work of God would take place. Is through a great man who's achieved great things. Ideally me. <laughs> And I would tell the world about him. And because I'm, I'm great, the world would listen. And they would believe. And we would see a great work of God. That's an extreme version. I began to see that there are many holes in that story. Not least that I'm not Brazilian. Um, but one of the holes I learned a lot later in life, God does not work like that. God does not work like that. He does not work like we would expect. Do you ever find yourself thinking in those terms? Oh, if we could just get someone like this, with those talents and those gifts. If someone, maybe a great celebrity in the UK could turn to faith, wouldn't that be great? Imagine if Lionel Messi came to faith. Wouldn't that be great? Do you think in those terms? Maybe not much in football terms, but whatever it is that you think of, which is great. And someone in that field coming to Christ, wouldn't that make all the difference? 1 Samuel starts giving us that kind of sense also. Gives us a bit of a, bit of a false lead because there's, there's this theme throughout 1 and 2 Samuel that the great things that happen in history come through great men. Power is in men. It looks like in certain terms. But actually the whole narrative is shaped to deny that. And look in verse 1. Come to verse 1 of chapter 1. This is how the book starts of the rise of the kingdom. There was a certain man from Ramathane, a Zufite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf. An, an Ephraimite. That's a pretty big intro, isn't it? Who's this man? What's he going to do? You could imagine the first readers going, okay, now we're in for something. But then look what it says. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Peninnah. Peninnah had children 
that Hannah had none. It's actually going to be here where the rise of the kingdom begins. In a woman called Hannah who had no children. This is a familiar story in scripture of the barren woman struggling to give birth, but God working through her. And that's what we're supposed to recognize as we begin this. So the first thing I want to say, how does a great work of God happen? It begins with affliction. That's the first thing we're going to see here. It begins with affliction. It begins with a barren woman weeping. Let's see what her affliction looks like. Look at verse 3. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Peninnah and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. When Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Her husband Elkanah would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? There's three things we see about Hannah's affliction in this passage. One of them is just a very obvious one. She has no child. She has no child. And we can certainly relate to the emotion of that. Perhaps you've gone through that or you know someone who has. It's a strong emotion to not have a child. But then it's more than that in these times. We should remember in the ancient Near Eastern world, in that society, there wasn't really much of an alternative for a woman to find some kind of vocation and meaning in her life. It was so bound up in childbearing and her social security was also bound up in that. Now, she has the the love of her husband, um, but it doesn't seem like he really understands does it? I wouldn't recommend trying this one at home. Honey, I'm so sorry things are so bad, but at least you've got me. <laughs> Do not try that at home. But so that's adding to it. She's, she doesn't have a husband who understands. She's feeling alone in this. But then there's even worse than that, is that she, her rival is provoking her, irritating her until she wept. So she's childless, she's been mocked by her rival, and she's misunderstood by her lover. Now those are, those are bad enough, and we really need to feel the pain of Hannah. She's weeping. Later on it says that she's weep, weeping bitterly. To Eli she says that, I'm praying out of my great anxiety and vexation. I don't think we'll understand Hannah's story if we do not feel the pain with her. Maybe you can recall something in your life where there was just a moment of bitter weeping. Maybe you're going through something like that right now. 
What can make these things worse and what lies under the surface in this story is the question of God. Have you forgotten me, God? Look at this. That This happens every year. So if you look down with me um, at verse 6, we see that the Lord is not absent from this. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. It says twice, actually, at the end of verse 5 and the beginning of verse 6, the Lord closed Hannah's womb. And this took place in verse 7. This went on year after year. When Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept. The house of the Lord is the place where God is present for Israel. And they would go there to worship. And It's a very significant time of the year. And imagine at that time, every time, you are exposed for the fact that you have no children. At that specific moment, it's even worse when she goes into the house of the Lord. Because that is the moment when her rival chooses to provoke her. Often that's... What we feel, isn't it? When we are suffering, when we are in pain, when we are going through affliction, it just brings the question, God, why are you letting this happen? Why, God? But this is where it starts. It starts with affliction. I just want you to see that. It's just a a small point at the beginning of this that you might feel when I speak about You know, starting 2023, looking for God to do a great thing through us. You might think, okay, Ben, that sounds great, but I'm not there. I'd just be happy if I could just survive this year. But look here, this is where it starts. It doesn't start from strength. It starts from a barren woman weeping, questioning, why is God allowing this to happen to me? It starts with affliction, but it doesn't stop there. And this is our second point. It moves from affliction to prayer. This is how great work of God takes place, is when the suffering servant takes her anxiety, her vexation, and she moves it into prayer. So look with me at at verse 9. Verse 9. Once, when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. I like that. She stood up. She arose. She didn't just stay wallowing in self-pity and in pain. She stood up. Now, Eli, the priest, was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow. Saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. And no razor will ever be used on his head. We can imagine that Hannah has actually been praying for a child for a long time. This has been going on year after year, it says, doesn't it? 
So we can imagine, this isn't the first time she's prayed. Surely not. But there's something different this time. Now, there's a lack of formality to the prayer. It's such a sincere and, and just open prayer. Lord, give me a son. And I will give him back to you. It's an amazing prayer, actually, when you come to to see what she's doing here. Because it's not just asking the Lord for a child. It's changing the motive. It's changing the motive. Now I want this child, not for my sake, but for your sake. I will give him back to you. What she's, the vow she's making here is actually a Nazarite vow. When she says, no razor shall touch his head, it means that he's, he's going to take a life of devoted service to the Lord in the house of the Lord. And Hannah doesn't live there. So Hannah's probably going to see him once a year, maybe. That's a big sacrifice, isn't it? And he's not going to be the kind of son who grows up in her home providing for her he's going to have a devoted life to the lord this is a big sacrifice she's giving up some of the kind of natural joys that a mother would have in their son she's giving that up that might have been what she wanted in the past that might have been where the pain was but something's changed now and she's saying no i will give him back to you For your glory, Lord. That's an incredible prayer to pray. I wonder about the desires that you have, deep longings that you have. Have you ever prayed a prayer like that about them? If you think about that, it's pretty hard to do, isn't it? It's pretty hard to do. How how can she pray such a prayer? I think this, this is something that comes out of the waiting. Out of the... The, the wrestling with God over desire, the wrestling with God over this affliction and why it's happening. There is something that's changed here. And Hannah now sees, oh, actually, this isn't about me anymore. This isn't about me anymore. Lord, do it for your sake. Do it for your sake. So she rises up. She devotes this, her desire to the Lord. And there's this immense outpouring of her soul. You see this in when she speaks to, to Eli. Uh, as she kept on praying to the Lord, this is verse 12, if you look there. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Out of my great anguish and grief. She she doesn't put aside her affliction in order to pray. She brings it to the Lord. And in her great anguish, she pours out her soul to the Lord. That is such a healing thing to do. And I just really encourage you, perhaps 
Some of the things I've spoken about are recalling things for you in your present life or in your past that are just an ongoing point of pain. Have you taken it to the Lord like this? It's a great moment of healing when people do that. And perhaps it's when Hannah does that, that she learns to pray this prayer. To make it about God's glory and not just her own desire. There's a contrast with Eli here, isn't there? Eli is sitting at the start of this, but Hannah stands up. And Eli, we should know, if you know the book of Samuel, his sons, which is Hophni and Phinehas, are drunkards. They're drunkards who are defiling the Lord's house as they serve as priests. They're taking women for themselves and they are corrupt. And it's really ironic here that Eli, whose sons are drunkards, Eli mistakes Hannah's true and sincere prayer for a drunkard woman. Isn't that ironic? Whereas Hannah, who is actually not drunkard, she's praying to the Lord, is about to produce a child who will replace the children of Eli in the house of the Lord. He will be uh, a child who serves the Lord faithfully and brings reform. You see, actually, the whole time Hannah is being seen as a kind of microcosm of Israel in this story. Just like Hannah, Israel are under affliction. They're suffering, and they're suffering at the hand of their rival, the Philistines. The Philistines were mocking them, and they, the Philistines seemed to be fruitful. They were triumphing in battle. They were strong and powerful, but Israel was small and being oppressed by them. But there's a, there's, as well as there's a, a similarity between what Israel are going through and what Hannah is going through, there's a point of departure here where Israel are being led by people who are not taking their affliction to the Lord, but are actually just ignoring it and serving themselves. Whereas Hannah is like the faithful remnant who takes her prayer to the Lord. And the amazing thing here is that she is remembered by the Lord. Verse 17, Eli answered, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. Again, just ironic there that he's, he's grant, God is going to grant his replacement, Eli's replacement. Verse 18, she said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning, they arose and worshipped before the Lord, and then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife, Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, because I asked him from the Lord. There are two results of Hannah's prayer. One, she's no longer sad. And she eats. And notice that happens before the child is given. It happens before. There's that sense of, I've given this to God and I can trust him with it. It's a great release that comes when we just pour out our heart and give our troubles to the Lord. 
But then the second thing, and this is glorious, is that the Lord remembered her and gave her a son in the course of time. It's the great power of prayer that we see here. Hannah prays, the Lord remembers her. She takes her affliction, she moves it into prayer, and there's an answer. That's such an encouragement for us, friends. As we start this new year, let us be a praying people. Let's take our griefs to the Lord in prayer and ask him to act in them, but not just for our sakes, but for his sake. That's how Hannah's personal struggle becomes connected with God's great plan and great work in history. We wouldn't expect this. If we were writing the story, you would probably start the story of the kingdom of Israel at the battle of Achish or something, a victorious battle for Israel. Or you might start it when Samuel is later called by the Lord or when Saul becomes a king or David becomes a king and beats Goliath. You might, you might start it there with a great strong man. But it starts here. Affliction turned into prayer and God answers. God could do great things for us this year if we would just come to him in prayer with these things. This leads to my third point. How does a work of God happen? Affliction, prayer, then it displays God's glory. And this is chapter two, which Alex uh, told us about so wonderfully earlier. Let's just read this. Read, look at the joy that Hannah experiences here, and the joy that could just be ours as we just look at what God does through us. My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord, my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. It's great joy when we see God answer prayer. And he does it time and time. He loves to answer the prayers of the afflicted one because it shows that he is the one who has done this. It's not by your might or by your strength that this has happened. You brought it to me. Here it is. And we rejoice in the Lord. Look at verse 3. Now, I've spoken hoping to give you comfort and encouragement in your affliction as you start this new year. But I can't hide from you that there's also a strong rebuke to us in these passages. Verse 3. Do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance. For the Lord is a God who knows and by him deeds are weighed. We have a lot of privileges, don't we? We are so blessed with the lives that we have here in Kenya, when you compare it uh, in Cambridge, when you compare it to other places around the world. We're so blessed. And there's a great danger with blessing, with riches. I was, uh, this reminds me of, um, I've taken up rowing, and I've bored some of you to death with it already. <laughs> uh, and we had a team meeting in our college, and we'd done a 2K test. 
to a 2,000 meter test to see who was the, the fastest in our boat. Um, and the, the captain of the, the club is Franco, so he was bringing our times up. And uh, I had the quickest time. I had the quickest time. And uh, when that happens, you don't need to say anything. You just kind of, yeah, got the quickest time. You kind of maybe puff out your chest a little bit and uh, look around the room. And everyone was looking at me, oh, fair play, Ben, that's, that's impressive. And then Franco, who's the smallest guy in the boat, says, okay, this is the, and he's Spanish, but I won't do a Spanish accent. Uh, he, he did a, a converter, which, because if you're heavy, which I am, if you're heavy, you weigh down the boat and you make it slower. So when you convert the times to match the weight of everyone in the boat, it actually changes things. And now I was second last. <laughs> and Franco is right at the top. We live in a world that will praise us for so many things and reward us for them. Things that are impressive. Might be uh, beauty. Might be uh, your background, where you've come from. Could be your intelligence, your degrees, certain talents that you have, maybe musical talent, or just you're a popular person. And you start to hear these things and you puff your chest out. Yeah, I'm worth something. I'm worth something. But none of those things before the Lord count as our justification before him. Those are not the criteria by which God judges us. The world will reward us for those things. But that's not the basis of God's reward. There's a great reversal that we see in Hannah's prayer. The bows, verse 4, the bows of the warriors are broken. But those who stumbled are armed with strength, a reversal. Those who were full hire themselves out for food. But those who are hungry are no more. She who was barren has borne seven children. Praise God for Hannah. But she who has had many sons pines away. Oh, how Penina. Oh, her, a tragic future for Penina. She mocks Hannah. Verse 8, verse 6. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and makes them inherit a throne of honor. Friends, don't be deceived by the things that you have in this world. As though they give you a certain standing before God. They don't. This isn't a crusade against human excellence or talents. But a crusade against the pride that so often comes along with it. It's not valorizing poverty, but it's commending the humility that comes with that. It's not a mistake that in the world today, where do we see people turning to Christ? It's in those places where there's greater levels of poverty. Not because it's a crutch, as Karl Marx said, but because riches are deceptive. They're deceptive. Are you being deceived by them? It's very possible to be deceived even as you affirm 
a doctrine such as salvation by grace alone. It's very possible to say, I know that I couldn't save myself. I couldn't save myself. I needed God to do that. And yet, underneath that, there's this kind of thinking where, okay, yeah, but I could see why God saved me. You know? There's lots of hidden potential in Ben Gardner that was just waiting to come out, and now God saved me, now here it is. Do you think like that sometimes? If, if we think like that, if you think like that, God opposes you here. He opposes you on that point. How do you do it? Because it's really hard, I've been thinking about this for you, because, again, I don't want to sound like this is against the good gifts that God has given you in your life. But how, how if you're not poor, <laughs> if you're not unpopular, if you're not silly, how do you cultivate this kind of humility that the Lord exalts? I, I think there's no other way than to just regularly come before God in prayer and stand under his judgment. We so often live in the, the way of the world and the way it judges and rewards and we get caught up in that and sometimes we mix it in with Christianity and we need to just leave that aside and come before God and say, Lord, Lord of hosts, I am as nothing before you. I have nothing, nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. I love those words. love those words. Just humbling ourselves before God. And he will exalt us. He will make his glory known. These are all reasons, friends, to, to go back to our first two points. Why does affliction turning into prayer bring about a great work of God? Because God loves to answer to that. That's the kind of poverty, poorness of spirit that God responds to and raises up and wants the world to see this is who I exalt. So there's great hope there for us as we enter this new year, just to start the year prayerfully. There's no evening service tonight. And you might think, actually, rather than maybe meeting with friends and doing something social, I might just take some time alone here and pour out my soul to God in prayer. And say, Lord, this hurts. I want to do something different here. Not just for me, answer this prayer. Do it for your sake. Do it for your sake. And there can be great joy when we do that. Healing and God answers. But I couldn't finish the sermon here. Because the fact is, sometimes there's no child. Sometimes you can do what Hannah does here. And there's no child. Unanswered prayer. This reminds me of uh, another woman, not in the scriptures, but in my life, called Claire. Claire Nafula. She was the accountant at the mission hospital that I worked for. And we found out that Claire uh, had breast cancer. She was uh, late 30s, two kids and a husband. And she got breast cancer and her church 
believed, her church taught that if she had enough faith, she would be healed and rid of this curse of cancer. And I remember just, that was really hard for her to walk with. And we spent time together in places like, we didn't do this passage, but places like Job, see, oh, it doesn't always work like that. Our sufferings are not so black and white in that way. And we prayed together earnestly for healing. Many people prayed. And we thought we had it at one point. After a year of uh, leukemia, she, she, she seemed to be better. And we were thanking God for healing. And then it, it came back again. And we, we kept praying, but it was clear these prayers were not being answered. And she, she died a really painful death as well with the state of palliative care in Kenya. Has God forgotten Claire Nafula? It would seem like he has, isn't it? Hannah gets the child. She prays and she gets the child. We pray for Claire's healing. There's no child. There's no healing. She dies. She looks God-forsaken on her deathbed. Has God forgotten her? As we take this question to 1 Samuel, we see that the child is not about every barren woman getting the child that they want. Every infertile couple getting the child that they've prayed for. That's not what it's pointing to. Instead, it's pointing to God's majestic work to deliver Israel from the hands of their enemies. Again, Hannah is like a microcosm of God's people. And she's being lifted up to them, saying, pray, pray to the Lord for deliverance. And he will answer. And Samuel grows up to be a new leader of the people who delivers them who prays for them in chapter 7, he prays on their behalf, and God answers. Eli's household falls, but through Samuel, this child given as a promise, God rescues his people. And Hannah's faith, what's Hannah's faith pointing to? Well, she's a barren woman, and there's many barren women in Scripture. There's Sarah, isn't there? There's Sarah, then there's Rebecca, there's Rachel. And Abraham's faith that God could give a son from Sarah's dead womb is likened by Paul in Romans 4 to the faith of a humble believer who believes that God can raise Jesus from the dead and can raise me with him. Look at this in in chapter 4. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it for you of Romans chapter 4 verse 18. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it has been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old. And that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith. And gave glory to be God. Being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. 
Verse 22 says, this is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him, this is to Abraham's faith in the God who can give life from a barren woman. It was credited to him, were written not for him alone, but also for us. Also for us. To whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Claire Nafula was not forgotten by God. No one will say that at the resurrection. When she rises at the power of God in a new body, looking absolutely transformed and glorious. And we will say she's been remembered. Oh, we've all been remembered because God has not forgotten us in death. The place where human beings look most forgotten, there God shows his power to his faithful by raising them from the dead. That means we can have joy even in our unanswered prayer. I saw that with Claire. She, her favorite verse was from Job, uh, where she said, uh, where it says in Job that the, the purposes of God cannot be thwarted. How can a dying woman say that? It's because she knows that the purpose of God was not contained within this life, but was much bigger than that. I pray that you take that from this. In your unanswered prayer, in the pain of it, that you look to Christ. Because there you know that God has remembered you. And I pray look for us as a church this year, as we take our pains to him and as we ask him to do great things through us. We would turn to him in prayer. Seek his glory and trust him in all things. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of Christ. That in him we know you have remembered us. You've not forgotten us. Even in our great pains, Lord, which remain in this life. Lord, we can know that you are for us and not against us as we humble ourselves before you. Lord, help us to do that as we start this new year as a church. Even, Lord, as we maybe find times to ourselves in this week to come. Lord, please speak to us and comfort us and work through us. And above all, glorify your name through us, we ask. In Jesus' name. Amen.